Yes, friends. On a Tuesday, it's OGP, the One Giant Podcast, where we are your host, Adam Armbrecht, over here and over there, the healthy, wealthy, and wise Mr. Andrew Makowitz. Oh, Adam, I am fired up today. I'm actually, you know what? You're usually the one that's really excited about the the, the draft and doing mock drafts. I, like the combine just started scratching the itch, right? I'm like, man, I got to do a little bit more digging on this prospect. Like I'm starting to get that urge. I mean, we got a lot going on in free agency and, and a lot of decisions to be made before the draft, but uh, I'm starting to feel like it's mock season. You better believe Ooh. Oh, okay. You know, I, I've been trying, I've been trying to control myself here. You know, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm getting you People are okay. Oh, oh, well, well then the barn doors have been open. My friends, the floodgates were only being held back by Andy and now it's all over from this point going forward. But we are going to talk a uh, fifth year option numbers on not only Daniel Jones, they got made official, but also another key potential player for the New York football giants. We're going to get into uh, some interesting conversations around the top of the draft. And then, of course, what it could look like for the New York football giants and Joe Shane decisions to get made there with the draft. Uh, what was uh, six weeks away about? We'll say six weeks. We'll put that mark there. But before we do other general NFL news that we usually don't do too much wide ranging stuff. But this feels pertinent because, one, it's on the tip of the tongue, right on the front of the mind of everybody who's a fan of the NFL. And also because this this feels like one of those benchmark moments as far as how a particular situation could get treated, and that's regarding one Calvin Ridley. Oh, man. So uh, th- there's a lot to unpack here. We'll, we'll try to be brief because it's non-Giants related, but I, I wanted to talk about it because it is important in the grand scheme of the NFL. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Calvin Ridley, it comes out, uh, you know, he was placed uh, on the, the exempt list last year right around the end of October for dealing with some mental health issues. Um, come to find out, a couple days after, I think it was two days after he was placed on the exempt list, mm-hmm. he uh, threw in a bunch of bets in the NFL, three team, five team, eight team parlays, Pretty sweet. like all of them, including the Atlanta Falcons in those games. And so the NFL suspended Calvin Ridley for a year saying we can't have this in our league. And Adam, uh, l- let me, th- there's a lot of different opinions and people like to give hot takes on this one and try to compare it to, to other actions that, that could be better or worse. Like what's your, what's your initial thought about the suspension, Calvin Ridley gambling on games, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I think uh, the suspension brought to you by bet MGM, right? Uh, I mean, listen, the NFL is fully invested in the gambling side of, of what surrounds the sport. Now that doesn't mean that they have a very clear line about players and their involvement in it, but just the brass tax of it for me is it's, they're suspending him for a year to send a very clear message to any players that might be considering doing this in season or while they're actively a part of the team. But I, like, I don't really get necessarily why it's as big a deal as they're making it out to be because he wasn't playing. He wasn't a part of the team. Like he was away from the game completely. He had no impact or influence on the outcome of these games. So again, I'm not saying you don't want your players to be involved in it at all, whether they're it's the off season, in season, playing, not playing, injured reserve, suspended, anything else. But I, I just think this is purely a perception thing for the for the NFL. It's the way they are on all of this kind of stuff. They have overreaction responses to things because all in that vein of protecting the shield which is a really funny sentiment that a lot of people around the NFL like to throw out when it seems to matter most. And yet other times it doesn't seem to be applied nearly as heavy, have it handedly. 
around far more serious topics than gambling. Okay, so so you you took you took the the little nibble of the bait, and uh, I will uh, I'll have my little fun with this. Sure, it is absolutely insane that people think that the NFL is not correct in what they've done with Calvin Ridley, and I'll t- I'll tell you two reasons why. One is people are like, oh, he's away from the game. I know he's like on the team and he's best friends with some of the players and he still knows the playbook and he still knows exactly how they're going to be approaching like game planning and scheming and scenario planning, which is all inside information that no regular casual gambling fan has about like what the team plans on sure. doing. Like he he has all of that at his disposal. It is 100% clear he cannot be gambling on games. NFL players and NFL coaches can't gamble on NFL games. It's that simple. You well, want to I totally get it, but I don't think I don't. But the year suspension, I think, is insane. Like, but, I, but I, it's I but it's not right. because, and, and I'll explain why. Boxing has fallen by the wayside to mixed martial arts because of a few things. One, the punching is way different in MMA. But two, boxing has forever been dogged with this idea that guys are throwing fights, they're dogging it, match fixing, all this different stuff, and it's diluted the product to the point where no one really cares. There's no stars in in boxing anymore. And a lot of it is because they're like, oh, it's like wrestling. It's rigged. The NFL has to be able to sit there and say, none of our games are predetermined. It is what makes the NFL exciting. It's the, the, the betting side of it, which also might I add, players are getting paid through the collective bargaining agreement, like the windfall of money that comes in from all these betting websites. So like, let's not say like the NFL's like hypocrites. The players are also getting paid for all this stuff. It's, it's insane to me that anyone thinks that like the integrity of, of the actual product on the field is not the most important thing to the NFL. Like, yes, there are other things. I see people quitting it. How does a guy, um, you know, have domestic violence and only get five games. It's like, that is a, that, that is a criminal act that like he'll get prosecuted in the court of law, but it doesn't actually materially change the game. While it may be worse and horrific in optics purposes, like someone's a terrible person for being an abuser. It doesn't change the fact that the NFL needs the money and the credibility raking in on the integrity of the actual product on the field. Sure. That's fine. And again, like, like I said, like I, it doesn't really matter one way or the other for me. I, I get cracking down. I, you don't want to see it happening. Like I'm not, I'm again, again, I, I think, I think a year suspension is, is way too much. I, I, I understand needing to send a strong message around it. You brought up not sending strong messages around other issues that don't necessarily directly impact the play on the field. Although I can make the case when you're not cracking down on players that have off the field issues and allowing them to play, if they're quality players, well, then you are impacting the outcomes of the games. And has just as much of an influence around gambling as anything else, because Quality players are on the field. That changes potentially the outcome there as well. And just beyond that, I think you have to look at this again and say how many other things are are going on behind the scenes. It's only it's not about the integrity of the game. It's about the money. That's all. The oh, yeah. Money. I mean, when I say integrity money. of the game, I mean, like the NFL needs to make money. They need people buying the merchandise, sitting in the seats because right. they believe that what they're watching is happening in real time that no one can control. A hundred percent. And that being the case, listen, you had to respond to it. Like you have to respond to this. If you're the NFL, if you're Calvin Ridley, I get on this. I understand why Calvin Ridley was saying like, Hey, it was, it was only $1,500. Like I don't have an issue or something here. Like I get, I get him trying to like explain it. I think again, we talk about optics. It's a bad optic when you're like, Oh, hey guys, 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 let me just, let me just break it down for you here. Like that isn't the best look either. Wait, Adam, his side of it. Hold on. I'll, I'll end on this. If you're, if you're Calvin Ridley's like PR team, you're like, you know how you get around this, go on Twitter and just start firing off a bunch of tweets. Like that usually 
will make things like totally better for you. Like what has it ever been to the benefit of anyone in real time to like shoot out their emotions on Twitter? He, you knew he was going to get destroyed. He's like, it's only this amount of money. Yeah. And then he's like, uh, Hey guys, I know what I did was wrong, but it's not a big deal. He's like, I'm losing a year in the NFL L O L on there. And it's like, dude, you cannot be putting out this persona in real time because it makes you look even worse. Cause he's even more tone deaf about it. And last footnote, uh, kudos to the Atlanta Falcons who apparently were not fielding offers when teams were calling about Calvin Ridley because they knew that this was coming. So they, they didn't say anything outright, but they essentially said, we're, we're just going to have to push the pause button here because they knew this was coming. Listen, I'm sure there'd be other things the NFL would look at had it been the case and they had been aware of it and blah, blah, blah. But again, in the old spectrum of integrity of the sport, it's not always the case. So the, the, the Falcons knew this is going to be coming down. We're going to have to deal with this. Nobody should really be calling about them. Let's get over then to the New York football Giants side of things. Let's talk about the official fifth-year option numbers that came out here. For Daniel Jones, it's not necessarily that important because they're not going to pick it up. $22.384 million, so a little bit higher than anticipated, obviously. We talked about it before. makes all the sense in the world for him to play this out, and then if you end up paying him $29, $30 million next year, it's really not a big deal if he ends up being the franchise quarterback. The other more interesting number for me was on Dexter Lawrence, the who was taken obviously in the draft along with Daniel Jones, ten point seven five three, just to give the official numbers, million dollars for the fifth year option on Dexter Lawrence. How um how urgent should the Giants be on potentially picking up the fifth year option for him, or with the regime change? Do you think? Yeah, unfortunately, he falls into some type of boat as a lot of these players do of. It's a wait and see, and maybe we'll be ready to reward you. We know a new system with Wink Martindale. There's a lot. There's actually a lot of factors around Dexter Lawrence, including his play on the field, and whether or not that number would make sense for one extra year. I was shocked. I was floored, Adam, when I saw a bunch of polls out there like, should the Giants pick up Dexter Lawrence's fifth-year option? I was like, what? What are, we, what are we talking about? And then I dove into it, and it's like, underwhelming underperforming hasn't really shown up has been a slight disappointment for the giants. Like what? Well, that's a big number. Joe Shane wants to get under the cap. And I was yep. like, Oh, now I see why people are being completely irrational. Like now, now I understand. And we've swung the pendulum completely the other way, or we're, we're willing to just like shed players for this, like random cap space. That's going to be available. Like $10 million for Dexter Lawrence. No, thank you. And I well, just the want to the books too is because the Giants are going to have more cap space next year anyway. So it's going to look a lot different. It's not putting the money on this year. This is for next year, right? So I would dismiss that element of it in terms of will you have money? You're going to have mo- far more money next offseason than right now. Right. But people are thinking like, oh, Joe Shane needs to build this team. Like Dexter Lawrence slightly underperformed. Let's get rid of him. We could save 10, 10 million against the cap. And I, I think people always just forget like you have to fill that void with a player that can perform better than Dexter Lawrence at a salary that might be less than that. And it doesn't make sense to me. But see, I'll I'll disagree with you on this sense. Like I like Dexter Dexter Lawrence. Again, I think a lot of players, especially the young ones, you want to see how they look over this upcoming season underneath the new coaching staff. Right. The one pushback though is, and this is just from a fit standpoint within the scheme. I don't know what Dexter Lawrence is right now. And that's, I, I, you know, that can be a failing of the previous coaching staff, or it can be just, his skill set, his size, his measurables, right? When he first came into the league, we said from year one to year two, we looked at him and we went, boy, he kind of slimmed down. He got a little bit bigger across the top. It looked like he was playing a little bit leaner. 
But when he was first drafted, we thought, put him in at nose tackle. He's going to be the, the guy that controls the line of scrimmage. That quickly shifted over the start of his career to where you started putting in B.J. Hill, and then we put in the Austin Johnsons of the world to be in the middle, and he played on the outside with, with uh, Leonard Williams in the 3-4. I don't know if he's the best fit for Wink Martindale's system, right? I don't, I don't know if he represents the best version at that position. Like, I think Leonard Williams, in theory, is a great fit inside of Wink Martindale's system when you surround him with other weapons. Do I think that Dexter Lawrence can be? Of course I do. I, I do wonder, the real question here is on all this for me is, what is his market value going to look like? Right, because if you think that Dexter Lawrence could go out there on the open market next year and earn somewhere between ten and twelve million per year, and you like him, but you want to get affirmation that he can work within this system, then I don't know if you're compelled to either pick up the fifth year option right in this moment or not, because you can go into the offseason and say we have the money, you're a priority for us, we're going to give you a four or five year deal, and it's going to be eleven, twelve, twelve million dollars, and we'll pay that little bit extra, like. It's not entirely different from the kind of logic you said about Daniel Jones. Like you've argued this offseason, maybe the Giants should pick up that fifth year option on Daniel Jones. Why not at a reasonable now $22.4 million next season? Like I get I get applying it there, and you can apply the same logic to Dexter Lawrence, but in the same way that I said with Daniel Jones. I don't know. You can't pick up the fifth year option. I don't think it's nearly as cut and dry with Dexter Lawrence, but I can look at it and say, I don't think you're damaged in whatever choice you want to make long-term by not picking up the fifth year option right now. Well, so fair. Cause there always is the franchise tag. Like is, is, is in the and what happens in the draft who, who, who comes in, right? What young players look better. And that's the big difference here. Just real quickly to your point, just because you need to fix the cap doesn't mean you need to strip every single part off of the roster, but if you draft well and you see kind of the future coming here and you're planning on keeping Leonard Williams, who's going to be making money here over the next few seasons, then I then I think that's the shift as well. How much money are you allocating to the defensive front for the team? You are balancing the books in that sense along the way. Sure. What I want to let everyone know is we forget what Dexter Lawrence has done. He comes into the into into the Giants as a rookie, 76 pro football focus rating, you know, a few sacks, forced fumbles, bunch of tackles. Then next year, which uh, the the following year, seventy nine point five Pro Football Focus rating is that good? Almost at eighty as a defensive lineman in his second year in the league. I'll take that. Sign me up anywhere. You know, last year down year sixty eight point seven. Everyone's like he was woefully disappointing. He's still twenty four years old and he's averaging a seventy five Pro Football Focus rating. He's getting between around 35 to 40 tackles on the interior of the line. He's having three to five sacks per game. And that was with a defense that underperformed woefully yeah. under Patrick Graham and a defense that was constantly playing from behind. Like how is Dexter Lawrence supposed to impact the stat sheet when the team is playing from behind and other teams can pick their poison when they want to either run or pass because they're up 15, 20 points uh, you know, against the Giants. So for me, you're talking about a 24-year-old who has shown flashes who looks to be grading out well in some of the things that he does. It's $10 million. Picking up that, to me, picking up that option, I believe a 25-year-old Dexter Lawrence, even if he doesn't fit Wink Martindale's system, is more valuable having him under contract for next season if you want to move him in the offseason as well. Like, to me, sure, sure. I think that he is a valuable contributor to this team, but also $10 million. Like, he's going to get a three-year $30 million on the open market. Like, there's... 
there's almost no doubt in my mind that's going to happen because it's happened with other guys. Like it's why we let Linval Joseph go. Like yeah, those yeah. things do happen. And oh, so for me, for me, Adam, it, it, it's pretty simple. You lock in cheap talent at a reasonable number, even if he doesn't fit your scheme, having talent under management that you can either deploy in your team or deploy for assets is something that Joe Shane has to do. Yep. And I'm, I'm a fan of Dexter Lawrence. So again, this is, you know, this is just talking about the different angles you have to look at here, understanding where some of your money is going to be tied up in the short and long term. And if you're Joe Shane, you're probably looking across this roster and saying, well, what does it look like when it comes to a Kenny Galladay, right? Are we holding on to him now, but hoping to move him next year? That frees up X amount of dollars when you're looking forward. So again, there's no harm in picking up that fifth year option. Um, I'd like to see Dexter Lawrence be a part of this team going forward. And I think, again, as you build out this roster, you need to consider what components all fit together well here. Be interesting to see, though. So that, I mean, that can come up here at any point over the course of this offseason. Maybe they'll pick up the fifth-year option, which would be certainly a vote of confidence for Dexter. The other piece, then, when we talk about Joe Shane and the plans that he has to work towards here, free agency obviously looming on the 16th. But then when it comes to the draft, we know the combine had wrapped up here. And there's a couple of really interesting articles by Ed Valentine over on the big blue view. The first of which I'm just going to uh, highlight a player here that we had talked about. And actually let's, let's do this reverse engineer. When we talk about the top of the draft and what the giants are going to look to accomplish Ed Valentine and a couple other members of, of, of the uh, staff there went through and said, Joe Shane, who came out and basically said, I'm, I'm going to be happy. I want to find seven players that I would take at five or at seven and then I feel really good. And I can, as he said, I can sleep well at night knowing that I have those options. I also am comfortable saying if there's a guy that I want to go get, I'll move up that board or I'll also trade back. When you look at the top end of the draft, we take Hutchinson off the board as they did, because obviously it's still the consensus number one overall pick here. Do, do you have a short list of seven players that you would say at five and seven, you're very comfortable with the Giants taking? I don't. I don't, and I think that's the problem, Adam, is that people are creating this list of seven being like, no matter what, we're going to get a top talented guy. But every single list that you see, when you get to about five, it's where things get murky. It feels like we know for a fact the two offensive tackles in terms of Evan Neal and Iquanu mm-hmm. are going to, like, are, are solid picks if either of them fall to the Giants at five. We know Kayvon Thibodeau, and Aiden Hutchinson, if either of them fell to five, Giant fans would be ecstatic. Those are two the two different groupings of people at a position of need for the Giants and also at the top of the draft board. Like, it's a no-brainer on those four, right? Like, as you mentioned, we could put those aside. I think, you know, Sauce Gardner, I'm a Gardner uh, from Cincinnati. He has the look of a cornerback that, like, could just be a lockdown guy. Didn't give up a touchdown in college. Like, he's saying all the right things. He's got the size. He freak athleticism like he is a guy especially if you're going to move on from James Bradbury that you could put in Wink Martindale's system and you're like oh man Adore Jackson and him shutting down people talk about adding pressure so for me I, I think I get to five and I feel really good from there I, I, I kind of it, it seems like everyone has their own ideas of whether they like cross the offensive tackle penning the offensive tackle uh Trayvon Walker Kyle Hamilton, the safety, like there's so many different names that keep getting tossed out that I just don't feel comfortable. I'm not locked in that says if that guy is at there at seven, I need him at that point. I'm I'm feeling even more and more confident about trading out of seven, moving back and taking best player available after that. 
Well, so I look at it as uh, just to give, uh, I have, as you mentioned, Neil, Aquanu, Gardner. Those guys are automatically players that you'd be happy to take at either five or seven, I think. I think to your point, Gardner, six foot three. We know I love length at wide receiver. I love oh, it at four friends. And, and, and he, he would, to your point, would work really well in Wink Martindale's system. I don't put Stingley necessarily into that group there that I would want to take. But you mentioned Walker. We talked about him a little bit on the last episode, which was only a podcast episode, not on YouTube. So go check it out on the feed if you want to hear some of those takeaways. I put Walker into that group. I put Thibodeau into that group as well, right? So right there, I've gotten to my five. And then let's just briefly touch on this. Two things I want to get to here. First one is the tackle spot and what came out of the combine where, as Ed Valentine notes, people that put together these big boards, when you do it ahead of the combine, it's somewhat folly. And we mentioned this last episode because it's going, something's going to change when you work your way through the combine. We said that a guy uh, at the top of the draft, like Hutchinson, listen, he's going to run a four, seven, whatever 40, and that's not going to change anything. He could look a little stiff. It's not going to change anything. All the tape, everything tells you he's the consensus number one. But guys that were like Walker, maybe hovering around the top 15, now they push themselves towards the top 10. A player like Trevor Penning out of Iowa State is going to go from being maybe a top 25 to now all of a sudden top 15, top 10. Like it makes a big difference in how you perceive them. And noted inside of this comparison between these two players, I thought was really interesting. We're talking about what's referred to as RAS, common relative athletic score. So it takes into all the the typical things that you would talk about, height, weight, the bench, composite, vertical, broad, agility, the 40-yard dash, all the things we take away from the combine. The reason why, and I think, Andy, you've been in this with me, why Cross, we've kept saying, "Ah, you know, pass protection, yes, but there's this other half of his game, and he's young, just like Andrew Thomas was. So on the one hand, you can say we have time to develop this player. And if he comes around in the in the run protection, then all of a sudden we're getting somewhere. But boy, when you compare Trevor Penning, who came out with the best score you can possibly have is 10. He came out with a 9.96 RAS score coming out of there. Everything was off the charts. The only neutrals, you could say, was his composite explosion grade and his vertical. Everything else was an eight and a half or better. And most of them were nine, seven, fives, 9.84s. His agility grade was through the roof compared to cross who scored an 8.27 and had concerns around three cone drill, the height, the weight, the composite size grade overall was very, was listed as poor to go along with a bad vertical and jump and some other, and some other interesting pieces there. Just quickly on that part of it. When you, when you start for me, when I start out saying I like cross, but I don't think he's a top 10 player. And then I get these grades and you see, I watched him at the combine. He looked okay. Not great. I feel like this just cemented my notion of like, no, there's no, there's not a world where I want to see the giants take him. And the only convincing you could say is we're not competing for the next two years. So you can do what you did with Thomas live through the struggles. I don't think I want to take that route. Well, so first of all, you talked about Trevor Penning. The only the only downside he had was his vertical leap. I was trying to think of a scenario where it actually matters what the vertical leap is for an <laughs> offensive tackle. Like, yeah. Think, yeah. think about that. Like, like, he's, he's blocking people. He's not catching balls. And even if he was, like, are you trying to have him high point a ball? He's not going to be in field goal or punt block. Like, like yeah. the vertical leap for an offensive tackle feels, honestly, like, he, to be honest with you, you want – 
your offensive tackle never jumping, right? You want their feet on the ground stable. So honestly, you know I, they go, Ooh, awkward play there where Penning tried to leap in the air to pick up that block on the outside. Right. Like I, I honestly, I, the more I think about it, the more hilarious it is. Like they're doing vertical leap for offensive tackles where like you, you would be benched if you jumped at any point, right? Like you're not supposed sure. to, but yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I think cross, Cross concerns me. His size at 300 pounds. They say he's got great hands, but his size is, is concerning, especially you mentioned the run blocking. That's why it's such a challenge. He's going to be going against guys that are his size or bigger with more power, with a little bit more leverage than him. That concerns me. Like that has not played on the right away. side of the offensive line either. Right, ex- exactly. And he's got to switch over. He's, so he's got to learn a whole new side. To me, that concerns me. Now, look, Trevor, Trevor Penning, really, really good scores. Everyone is excited about him. I understand the excitement around him. He's 325, so he's got an extra 25 pounds. You know, it, it's fine. Six foot seven. He's a big boy. Oh, sorry. Again, hold on, hold on, hold on. Real quick, though, just to add into it and why you should at least. I'm not saying he's entrenched in there, but he's a name obviously on the rise. But asked about response when asked to describe his play style physical, nasty, prick. That's how he described his own game when asked at the combine. How could you not? How could you not? How could you not love it? You know what? I just wait. I have breaking news. I have breaking news. Yeah. Dave Gettleman just texted Penning. You up with a question mark? Just, just quickly, just with that little, little thing. <laughs> like, does doesn't doesn't that feel like a guy Dave Gettleman would be taking out for like a ham sandwich? Like he's like that is my guy, and maybe maybe uh, you know I I. I I think of hog mollies instantly when I hear like fierce, ferocious. Cause like a lot of that was said about Will Hernandez and was like all bark, no bite. Yeah. Um, but, but for me, this is the problem. Like Penning was never really in the top 10 discussion. He could be a great offensive tackle, but, but because of all these question marks, like to me, that's why I struggle with the seventh pick and why I'm really hoping that maybe there's a team that wants Malik Willis or something that is willing to move up to that seven spot to say, Hey, we really want to go get this guy that we really like. Here's the other part that I'll just throw out. And I, and I, I, I do agree with you, right? Like it, it's, it's hard to, again, uh, you know, a player like Davis at the combine out of Georgia, right? He was at the back end of the first round. I don't know how high he goes. Everything you see at the combine is fantastic. Do I think you can go from 32nd to fifth? That's a really big leap, even as good as your combine can look. Likewise for Penning, depending on what board you looked at, he's, you know, middle 20 ish around in the first round towards the back end of it. But I think he's now in that fringe conversation adding into that pool. And the other little quote they got out of him was, I think it's physical. I think the physicality is huge, a huge part of my game. You want to make defenders across from you feel it. You want him at the end of the day to be exhausted. And he wants to go home and get on that flight and get the hell out of there. It's very important. I do like it to your point. Words mean relatively nothing. Andrew Thomas is a fairly soft-spoken dude. All of his responses over the first couple of years of his career were like, staying in my lane, just trying to get my job done, and it's also paid off. That being the case, though, if you say that Penning can, in the coming weeks, move his way into the top 10, that would be a potential sixth candidate. And then we get to the best one. We get to the only one that matters. And that is Kyle Hamilton. Because we had talked about, and I, and I need to amend it, and I think this is where... It makes all the sense in the world to compare it to Dave Gettleman, right? When you walk up at the top of the draft and you say, hang up the phone, boys. We're not taking any calls. It's Saquon Barkley or bust. That's a dangerous game to play. In the same sense, it's a dangerous game to say, there's no way that the Giants could be taking a safety at the top of the draft because all it means is you're automatically removing a possibility off your board and creating a narrow tunnel vision, right? If the Giants said, well, we're only taking a tackle. 
all of a sudden you're drafting cross when it looks like maybe he's fallen down the board a little bit, right? Kyle Hamilton, listen, he looked, he looked apart at the combine. He ran a four, five, nine 40 at six, four, 220 going to end up probably playing closer to two twenty five at the NFL level. I just, do you, do you still believe, or do you still say there's no world that the giants can take a player like that at five or at seven, if he's there on the board, given the speculation that he could be a once in a decade talent, and I'll paint the picture for you, but I want your initial response first before I lay out what I think could be a realistic scenario here for the Giants. I re- So, all right. My my gut reaction is no, 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 no. Please not Kyle Hamilton. I understand people are excited about him. He is a ball hawking safety. His 4.59 was actually disappointing. Most people expected him to run in the low 4.5s, if not faster. Um, so, you know, so everyone's saying, oh, well, you know, it's just, you know, he's not in pads, not playing speed. Like we, like we mentioned before, like everyone has an excuse for why guys don't, don't perform well. Fine, fine. Okay, great. What I will say is the small window or the small scenario that I could see me at least stomaching taking Kyle Hamilton at seven is if either Iguanu or Evan Neal fall to the giants at five. If one of those offensive tackles is secured at five, and then you're going to say, we're going to go take best position available at seven. I can live with that. I can be okay because then we're saying we're improving the defense. We're getting an offensive tackle. We're, we, we don't, we're not going to just reach for a wide receiver or some crazy other thing, because that's what we need. Yeah. If we end up going with sauce Gardner at five and then picking Kyle Hamilton at seven, that's where I will be very frustrated because then I'm like, we are doing the same things that we did before. We don't have money in free agency to go get an offensive tackle. We're ignoring the offensive tackle with two five, two top five, you know, top seven first round picks. And we didn't trade back to get more assets. Like that would be the doomsday scenario for me mentally. Adam. Well, it's interesting because yeah, because it, it's more likely the giants would try to trade out there maybe potentially, but Again, if you said that in whatever fashion, right, it's going to be uh, that Neil Aquanu and let's and let's say Tibbs is also gone there, right, in the first four, and we know Hutchinson at the top. So you've lost the two two tackles and you've lost the two top edge rushers in your mind. And if you think Penning could be a top ten candidate, but maybe he doesn't end up ultimately being there on your board, and Cross isn't there either. So you have no offensive lineman that you would want to take at five, and no trade offers come. Now you're left with having to make those decisions. Now, I think that Walker has certainly started to make the case for himself to be to be a viable option there for the Giants. And then you and you talk about Gardner as well. It'll be interesting to see because you kind of you kind of touched on it here. If the Giants move off of James Bradbury and they have that need at cornerback, well, then Gardner's right there in play. But I can I can double down and say Logan Ryan, is he going to be on this roster going forward? We know Jabril Peppers. I know some fans speculate about, oh, would you bring him back? No, you're not bringing him back. So you have created these holes. And I guess in theory, you could look at it and say some combination of those three players, Hamilton, Gardner, and then also uh, putting Walker into the mix and saying, hey, here's three defensive players. What's the best combination to make our defense a very formidable unit very quickly after, after having to move off of James Bradbury. The other side is Bradbury's talked about wanting to take another big pay cut and staying with the New York football giants. If he stays at least in the short term, unless you think Gardner is a stud and he's going to be a big piece of what you want to do on that side of the ball, you could wait on cornerback at that point, but still be looking at Hamilton and saying very viable option. It all comes down to, for me at the end of the day, whether or not Joe Shane looks at this prospect in Kyle Hamilton and says, Hey, 
this is a this is a he's the best rated guy on our board, right? So if he's there at five or seven and it's a positional value, a positional need, I, I'm not gonna have any problems taking him. That but that's what it comes down to is when you develop your board here for the Giants, where are these players and what are your options when you get to five and seven? Because while it wouldn't be my first choice, the kid has all of the ability to, by the way, they said we mentioned it before, Isaiah Simmons, but way better coming out of college. That's what they're talking about. He's a guy that can play on the back end. You can bring him down into the box. He can pick up players on the outside at times, not, not the strength of his game, and support in the run as well, though. He's a very versatile weapon. And if you think about Xavier McKinney in that same way, then all of a sudden you're talking about having two dynamic, different style weapons at the back end of your defense that could be really impressive. It could be a very dangerous combination in the short term. I'm not saying it's my number one, but I don't think you can take it off the board. I I understand, but at the end of the day, Adam, I can't uh, listen. It's no longer Dave Gettleman calling the shots where I feel like I know better on what to do because he's so entrenched in like football from the 1980s that he doesn't understand the evolution of a defense or an offense. I we, we are excited about Joe Shane and Brian Dable and 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 the coaching staff because they actually feel like they understand and they get it. So I, I will not be crushing Joe Shane for any decision that he makes. But just as a reference, we all loved Isaiah Simmons. They're comping him to Isaiah Simmons. 51 pro football focus this past year. They still don't know how to use him in Arizona. It's been multiple years. It's like, please, please, can we avoid that situation again? I'm with you. I understand the best player available. If Joe Shane thinks Kyle Hamilton is it, even at five, who, who am I to turn around and say no? Right. Uh, real quick here, let's get out of the door on uh, the top two tackles are gone. And let's just say that Thibodeau is gone as well as obviously with Hutchinson. What is your five and seven? There's no moves to make, whatever you're there. Who are your two guys that you would take? Uh, I would take sauce Gardner at five and I would take Trayvon Walker at seven. If, if, uh, if all things come to it, I, I would go, I would go cornerback and edge rusher and I'd be very upset not getting an offensive tackle. And then the rest of the rest of the draft would be all offensive linemen. Pretty much. Yeah. You work your way through, you come up from 36, get back into the back end of that first round. But I agree right now. I agree with you. See how Penning plays himself out. If he can entrench himself there, but that, that would be my one too, as well. I'd be, I'd be saying, listen, I think Walker showed you everything you want. Gardner is that rising star. And, and what an irony, if it ended up being double defense at the top of the draft, plenty, plenty more to come here. Friends in the coming weeks ahead of the draft free agency is just around the corner here. We will start to get some more clarity on where the giants are going to go. And if any of these other players like a James Bradbury is going to be on the move, freeing up some additional cap space for Joe Shane to work with. In the meantime, as we always say, head over to YouTube. We're going to start doing some more combine stuff. I'll be giving you some players that have come up the board for me, some late round targets that I think the giants could really get steals in the draft on. And then of course, all the other coverage on the podcast where we get those needs fulfilled as well. And as Andy Makowitz would want need. And as they like to say, demand the people know as always, let's go big blue.